0: Wasn't that a beautiful song that Jonavet gave us this morning? Fantastic. Speaks about a woman who loved her Lord so much for saving her that she wasn't too embarrassed to get down on her knees and wash his feet with her tears and bring her vial of perfume and give it to the Lord. She wasn't too embarrassed to do that. We shouldn't be either to give our praises to him, for he is so worthy. Shall we just open in a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here in the congregation of the righteous this morning. We thank you that you have redeemed us, Father, with the blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And though we don't deserve, like this woman who came, she didn't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve either. But we come, Lord, as thankfully and joyfully to pour out our praises before you. We pray now that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher and take the word of God and apply it to our lives. And help us to go forth here encouraged, inspired, blessed and challenged in your word so that we can bring the message of Christ to this world. And we can show people what true Christianity is all about in a world that has rejected him. And we just commit this time now and pray that you'll hide me behind the cross and that your words will go forward, Lord. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I've got a question to ask all of our hearts this morning. Why do we struggle so much with self? You know, we go through life and we find that there are struggles. There's times where we're anxious and we're fearful and we're worried about things that might happen to us tomorrow, this week, this month. And when you think about it, the Christian has three enemies, the world, the flesh and the devil. But guess one which is is the most dangerous of the three. The flesh self. Why? Because it's in here. Outside is the devil. Outside is the world. We can sometimes shut ourselves off from those. But the flesh is always there. And it's always going to be there until we get home to heaven. And that's why God wants to give us victory over the flesh in his due time. But we have to surrender to him. We have to yield to him. We have to give all to him. And you know that movie on Friday night, bless my heart so much, facing the giants. In life, we're going to face giants and we cannot face them unless our Lord is with us and gives us the victory. And I loved how in that movie, that coach got completely to the end of himself. He saw that his job was on the line. He saw that his wife couldn't get pregnant. He saw that the house was in bad shape. The car wouldn't go. Everything was against him. Everything. So where did he turn? Did he go to a self-help group? Did he go to a psychologist? Did he turn for help for people at his job? No. He went to the Lord. And I love that because he saw that the only help that he would receive, the only victory he would have, would be by kneeling down before the Lord and giving it all over to him. And because he did that, because he yielded and surrendered, notice what God did. And when we do that, we see that God takes over. There was revival in the team. There was revival in the school. There was victory on the field. And there was a baby that came. And not only one, but she was pregnant with a second baby. That's how God works if we yield ourselves to him. If we humble ourselves before him. If we say, Lord, I can't make it in this in my own. I need your help. He never turns away from us when we come to him with our needs. But, you know, so many times as Christians, we get to the point in our lives where we want answers now. We want the solutions now. We want God to come through right now. We don't want to wait. In fact, we want to write our own script sometimes. And we say, God, here's my script. This is what I want. Please do it for me. Please approve it for me. Please give me this. Or we say, Lord, here's my checkbook. All you have to do is sign it. I've, I've written in my name, Lord. I've, I've put even in the amount for you. You don't even have to worry about it, Lord. Here it is. It's right here. Just sign it, Lord. But you know what? God doesn't work that way. And thank God He doesn't work that way. Thank God He doesn't give us what we ask for all the time when we ask for it. Because His will is best. His will is good and acceptable and perfect. And when we surrender to Him, He will come through for us in His due time. Our title of our message this morning is Victory in Due Time. Victory in Due Time. Not in our time, in God's time. That's the thing about due time. It means at the right time. It means at the nick of time. It means just when we need God the most, He will come through for us. Another expression I like from the world of agriculture, and Adel will like this very much, the time is ripe. Have you ever been to a, to an orchard and you've seen these beautiful fruit trees and they've got fruit growing on the trees? You know, if you're going to enjoy a fruit from that tree, it's got to be ripe. If you go up and you pick one of those fruit and it's not ready, it's not ripe yet, it's green, you're not going to be able to eat it. You're not going to be able to enjoy it. In fact, you may even damage it by picking it in that condition. But you know when it's right, you go up to the tree and you just barely touch it and it falls off into your hands and you eat it. And it's sweet and juicy. That's the way God's will for us is if we wait upon him, if we surrender to him and we allow him to do it his way in our life, it will fall off right into our hands. And we can thank God that he knows what's best for us. And I praise God for the victory that he does give us in our lives. Please turn with me this morning to the first book of Peter, chapter five. We'll begin reading at verse five. This is our scripture memory verse this week. Chapter five, verse five. But we're going to concentrate on verses six and seven today. But we're going to read the the passage here from five through ten. First Peter, chapter five, beginning at verse five. Ron had a great point in the scripture memory class about memorization. We cannot emphasize how beneficial it is to our life. Every day I was thinking about this verse and it was like the Lord was just putting it on my heart to share on this verse. And I was so blessed by it. And i hope all of us will be as well. First Peter, chapter five, beginning at verse five. He writes, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren or your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle You May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. We're going to look at only two points today. Usually I have three, sometimes four, but today just two points. Number one is humility and number two is dependence on God. And I thought when you really come down to the where the rubber meets the road, as Mike likes to say, you can summarize the Christian life. In those two things, this is a recipe for success and victory in the Christian life. Now, there are other things, too, that we need. But these two things are so important to humble ourselves before God and to depend fully on him. And I thought, Lord, if I can do that, I will be so happy. Just think, though, about who wrote this passage this morning. Who is the author of this? Peter. Did Peter have some pride in his life? Yes. Did Peter ever speak up and maybe get himself in trouble, put his foot in his mouth once in a while? Yes, he did. Did he fail? Yes. Did he deny the Lord? Yes. But did the Lord give up on him? No. And I love that about Peter because Peter, when God restored him and forgave him, went on to be one of the greatest apostles ever. He was a shepherd, he was an elder, he was a teacher, and he was an evangelist. And God used him in a major way. Why? Because God humbled him. And until we get to the place in our life where God humbles us, he can't use us as effectively as we could be used. And so that's what Peter went through. And I thank God God didn't give up on Peter. And I thank God he didn't give up on you. And I thank God he didn't give up on me. He loves us too much. He wants the best for us. And he sees that sometimes in our lives, pride comes in and he has to deal with us and he has to deal with that pride and he has to humble us. And he does it because he loves us, not to be mean to us or frustrate us, but because he wants the best for us so that we can be the best Christians that we can be for him. Notice it says here in this scripture in verse six, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. In due time. You know, Peter was one who spent a lot of time with the Savior and he probably remembered some of the Lord's words where he said to him in Luke 14, 11, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, but whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And that's a scriptural principle that's been true from the days of Genesis all the way to Revelation. And in our day and time today, if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. But if we exalt ourselves, he's going to humble us. It's a principle that's always true. He says you have to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. I really like where it says in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 in the Old Testament, it tells us that humility is really a requirement. It's not an option. It's a requirement. Micah 6, 8 says he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? And to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's a challenge for our lives today. Is that your desire today to walk humbly with your God? I think about John the Baptist. Here was a great man, a mighty man who preached the word and brought people to repentance to prepare them for the coming Messiah. And one day when he saw the Lord, it says in John chapter 3 and verse 30, it says these words about him. He said he must increase. But I must decrease. Isn't that an amazing thing? For every true Christian, that's really what we need to do. To decrease so that he can increase in our lives. And that's what John felt was needed in his life. You know, when you're born in this world, you're born to increase. When you come into this world as a baby and you grow up, the world tells you, go for it. It tells you, be number one. It tells you to look out for number one. It tells you to be all you can be and it tells you to go for the gusto and all the acronyms and all the things that it says. But you know what? That's not true of the child of God. Because the child of God who is born again is not born to increase, but to born to decrease. That's an amazing thing. Our instinct as human beings in the flesh is to increase, to be above others and to be on top. But the instinct for the Christian is to let others go first. Put others ahead. And give God that place in our lives. Yes, it's totally opposite from the world. That's why the Apostle Paul could say to the Romans, he said, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. You know, sometimes people ask you, what is your opinion of yourself? And that's a hard thing at work when they ask you to do that, because you say, well, I want to give an honest evaluation, but I don't want to come across as thinking, you know, I'm the greatest and everything else. And the same thing is true when you go in for a job interview. You have to sell yourself. So there's a there's a time for that. But praise God, we should not have a high opinion of ourselves. We should have a high opinion of our Lord and of others. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said humility is a right estimate of oneself a right estimate of oneself. Another man named James Berry said, life is a lifelong lesson in humility. Isn't that true? Life, especially for us as Christians, is a lifelong lesson in humility. And guess what? I didn't learn it all the first time, so he still has to keep humbling me. And he does the same with you. It's a lifelong lesson. But as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt us in his due time. And that's the blessing of it. We can either learn the lesson early or we can learn it later. And the earlier that we learn it, the better. You know, he has a goal for your life. The Lord has one major goal for your life and mine as believers in Christ, and that's to make us conform to the image of Christ. He's got a lot of work to do. He's got a lot of work on me to do to finish the product, to make it That way to make me conform to the image of Christ. And one of the things he has to do is he has to knock off those rough edges of pride in my life and make me humble and make me a servant. And he is at work in our lives. He's at work in all of our lives. And he wants to do that for us. There's an old Maranatha song. Randy likes it, I'm sure. We've sang it back in the 1970s and it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up higher and higher and he will lift you up. As we bow lower before him, he lifts us up higher. That's what he did for the coach. That's what he did for those players on the team on Friday night. They humbled themselves. They trusted God. They sought his help and he exalted them. I mean, it's just so true of the Christian life. But he's got to break us of that will. He's got to break us of that pride. Some of us read that book years ago called The Calvary Road. You don't want to read The Calvary Road if you're not serious about your Christian walk because it talks about breaking pride and breaking self and it talks in that book about the eye. The eye. We all have itself, that eye. And that eye is very stubborn. It's made of iron. And it's very hard to bend it. You try to bend it yourself. It's not bending. It's not bending. So what happens? God has to bend it. And he has to bend it and bend it and bend it. And then it wants to go back and he keeps working on us and he keeps bending it. And what's the goal? To bring it like this for the sea for Christ, the sea for the cross. That eye doesn't want to bend on its own. It's not going to bend on its own. We can't make it bend on its own. But when we surrender to Christ, he will bend that eye and make it into a sea for Christ. And that's what he wants to do. And it's a lesson that we have to all go through to yield ourselves to. Him. But you know what I found in my life? If I don't humble myself, I'm going to struggle and I'm going to struggle and I'm going to struggle. And if I keep fighting against it and fighting against the Lord's will, it's not going to work. I've got a new boss at work and I liken it to the story of Joseph. There was a new Pharaoh who arose who didn't know Joseph. (Laughter) <laughs> <coughs> You know, it's always like that. When you get a new boss, the boss doesn't know you yet. The boss doesn't know. And so you have to prove yourself all over again. And it's humbling. I'm going through some, some humbling at work. And I said, Lord, this is my Training ground. This is what you want to do in my life at work and in every area of my life is to humble me so I can be a better servant. Because what's the first thing that happens when somebody does something like that to you? You want to fight back. You want to stand up. You want to defend yourself. You want to claim your rights. Now, wait a minute. And I said, wait a minute, Dean. You can't do that. You You have to show Christ. This is an opportunity to show Christ. Are you going to show a humble attitude toward your boss and to the people you work with? They're watching you. They're listening to you. Are you going to be humble in this circumstance or are they going to see you demanding your rights? It's a challenge for us. We all go through it. I like what Charles Spurgeon also said. He says, we have plenty of people who would kill, who would kill a mouse, would not kill a mouse without publishing it in the Gospel Gazette. They would not even stop to consider if they just kill a mouse, they're going to put it in the Gospel Gazette. He said, Samson killed the lion and said nothing about it. Here's a person. I killed the mouse. OK, here's Samson. He killed the lion, didn't tell anybody about it. He goes on to say that the Holy Spirit finds modesty so rare that he takes care to record it. Say, he says, say much of what the Lord has done for you, but say little of what you have done for the Lord. What a rule to live by. If you can say everything you can about what Jesus has done for you and praise Him and glorify Him, and don't say very much about what you've done for Him. He knows what you've done. We don't have to show off and say, well, did you see what I did for the Lord today? No. He says, do not utter a self-glorifying sentence. Yes, humility is first an attitude, then it's an action. And it all starts in the heart. And that's why we have to be broken in the will and in the heart. And then we will show forth true humility and grace. You know, there was a missionary to India that one day said, If I had to pick out two phrases necessary for spiritual growth, I would pick out these two. Number one, I don't know. And number two, I'm sorry. I thought boy that is guy is right on here if somebody asks you something and you don't know the answer but see you're proud you don't want to say you don't know the answer you want to say and you want to make it up or you want to kind of make it sound good and maybe he won't check it we can say I don't know the answer I don't know but you know what I'll find out for you I'll research it I'll look it up whatever that takes humility and then the other thing that takes humility is to go up to somebody and says I'm sorry Please forgive me. I've wronged you. Will you please forgive me? That takes humility also. And those two things really show where we're at in the Christian life. If you punch somebody and hit somebody and, and pest them, you're going to see whether the true humility comes out or the, or the pride comes out. It's like Ron said one time in scripture memory class, you get an orange and when you squeeze that orange, you see what juice comes out. And that's what happens when we go through some hard trials in life is it's going to show what's on the inside. Is it going to come out? Is it going to come out in a, in a bad temper or is it going to come out in a thankful spirit? Are we going to be generous and loving toward people or are we going to demand our rights? May the Lord help us to be humble. I liked in the movie, too, where the coach told his team as they were about to go out to that football game, he said, "Men, we have to be We have to praise God whether we lose or praise God whether we win. And I wonder if we're willing to do that. I wonder if I'm really willing to do that. Do I praise God the same way if I lose as if when when I win? That's challenging to us. And I thought about how sports is such a good analogy for these things because oftentimes in life we learn how to win by losing. Did you ever think about that? You learn how to win by losing. If you didn't lose, you'd never appreciate winning. And that's exactly what happened to Abraham Lincoln. We study the story of Abraham Lincoln and we find out that this man lost at everything. He lost his business. He lost every political race he ran in except the the final one to become president of the United States. He went through so many hard things. But you know what? He never gave up on his faith in God. He loved the Lord. And I think that's what kept him going through the whole civil war. Civil War wasn't a popular war either in many circles in those days, just like wars nowadays are not popular. And he felt for every soldier that was killed in those battles. And he loved the Lord so much and he was humble. And when people talked to Mr. Lincoln, they found him a down to earth, humble, God fearing man. That's the way I want to be. It's the way we want to be. We want to be humble. We want to give God credit for everything. You know, if you get an A on your on your uh, assignment at school. Give God the glory for it. But if you don't, give him the glory for it also. The C that you get or whatever grade you get. Same thing at work or at school or at home or wherever we are. If we can give God the credit because everything that we have belongs to him. Every gift, every talent, everything belongs to the Savior. I don't have anything that I, that I deserve taking credit for. And one day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord is going to look at what we've done with the right motive and he's going to see gold, silver, and precious stones. That's what he should see. But sometimes if we don't do it with the right motive, if our hearts are not in it, it's going to be like wood, hay, and stubble. And none of us want that because it says they'll be burned up. Yes, God is looking for a humble heart. And it says he resists the proud. He's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Bill McDonald said, he said, think of it. The mighty God opposed to our pride. Bill mentioned that in the Scripture memory class. And he's determined to break it. Contrast that with the mighty God who is powerless to resist a broken and contrite heart. Think of that. God is opposed to the proud, but he cannot resist a humble heart. He cannot resist a broken and contrite heart. That's why David, after he sinned and he confessed it to the Lord and the Lord forgave him, his words were, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Several times in his life, David was humbled. Several times. Several times. And several times God exalted him. But it was all because he willingly yielded himself to the Lord. You know, I found kind of an amusing story that was written by Martin Luther. He tells the story about two mountain goats. So put yourself into this scenario. There's two mountain goats high on the mountains and they're coming to meet each other. And they're on a ledge that is just wide enough for one of them. So on the left, you have a, a sheer cliff. That's way down if you fall. And on the other side is a big, steep wall. All of a sudden, these two animals come out facing each other. It's impossible to back up. It's impossible to turn. And we're going to see what's going to happen. And Martin Luther says in his his writing, he says, if these had been people like you and I, he says that we would probably have started butting each other in the heads until we plunged off the cliff together (laughs) and hurt each other. But amazingly... These two mountain goats did not do that. In fact, one took such a humble position that it laid down on the trail. And this crushed me. It laid down on the trail, its body, so that the other goat could walk over it. I said, Lord, am I willing to lay myself down for others and be humble like that? That's a humble attitude. Can you imagine two goats that want to master each other? They want to be number one. They want to. And you see them on TV all the time when they butt their heads against each other with their horns. This one laid down his body so that the other one could walk across and then he could walk across safe. If they had fought each other, if they had been proud, they would have ended up dead off the cliff. May God help us to have a willing and humble spirit that says, Lord, help me to be humble, to duck under, to be gracious in all that I do. Dr. Ironside said in his commentary, he says, we are to take the lower place, the lowly place of un." submitting unquestioning submission to the will of God. Now, knowing on the authority of his word in the day of manifestation, he will take note of all we have endured for his name's sake and he will give an abundant reward. You know, God will honor us. He will vindicate us. He will bring it forth in his timing. Proverbs 22, verse four says, by humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And that's what it's all about. We can't be successful in this world unless we're humble. And twice in the book of Proverbs, it says that honor comes before that humility comes before honor. Twice it says that. And when you think about it, if you think about who is really a truly great person in this world, it's not just the ones who are successful, but it's the ones who are also humble. I mean, you can take two athletes, two actors, two politicians and put them together in a room. One, they're both equally successful, but the one who is humble somehow draws you to them because you think this person is not only successful, but he's humble too, And even the world is, 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 is drawn to that kind of a person. Yes, God wants us to be humble. He'll make us successful. He'll exalt us in his due timing. I think about Joseph in the Old Testament because, I mean, he went through so many humbling circumstances. He was put in the, in the pit. He was taken in prisoner and made a slave. He was thrown into jail and all these things happened to him. And then finally, God, in his due time, elevated him to the highest place behind Pharaoh. He was the prime minister of all Egypt. And you think, wow, he was so humble. And even as he got that position, He didn't think about getting revenge on his brothers for what they did to him. He didn't even think about getting revenge on Potiphar's wife who falsely accused him. He could have said to one of his servants when he became the prime minister, say, go down to Potiphar's house and get that woman, that woman he could have called and bring her to the jail and be sure you put her in the same cell I was in and be sure you feed her with the same bread and water that I ate and be sure she stays in there the same amount of time I was in there. Did he do that? He realized that God was working in his life. God was humbling him. He had no desire to hurt, to reach out, to lash out. He was humble. And we thank God for Joseph because we're all blessed by his story. So the first key to success, to victory in his due time is to humble ourselves before God. Second key is to depend upon him fully. Notice what it says. In verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Have you ever been at home at night, walking the floor, pacing the floor, worried about something, anxious, bothered, troubled? Lord, I've got to do this tomorrow or this is going to happen and I've got to see the doctor. And the doctor had a worried look on his face and they've told me I need to come in right away. And we start thinking in our minds all the bad things that could happen. And guess what? They usually don't. But we've conjured up in our minds this huge, huge thing that's going to go wrong. And the Lord says, Dean, cast it on me. Cast it on me. Cast all your cares, all your burdens, all your wants and your needs on me. And he says, then you don't have to be fretful. You don't have to be worried or anxious or troubled. I will take your burden from you. Sidlow Baxter describes these two kinds of care in this verse. He calls it anxious care and affectionate care. And he says when it says these words, casting all your care upon him, that's the anxious care. So you take all your anxious cares, all your troubles, and you cast them on Christ. That's anxious care. And on the other side, you see the last part of the verse where it says he cares for you. That's the affectionate care. So when you have our anxious care, meeting his affectionate care, it can be nothing but victory. It can be nothing but good. It can be nothing but encouragement because we all have worries. We all have troubles, but we have to give them over to the Lord. Spend time praying about it, not worrying about it and thanking him in advance for his answers. You know, sometimes we say in our life, well, Lord, I can handle this one. It's a small one. And I've done it before and I've handled the same thing. And Lord, I can do this one. You sit over here, Lord, and just relax. Like they told him in the ship when the disciples were in the ship. Lord, you go to sleep and rest. We'll take care of it. We're fishermen. We know the, we know the Sea of Galilee and we know all the fishing and where everything is and we've been through it all before. Did that help them? No. God wants us to give over the little problems and problems The big problems to him. And he says, casting all, not most of your cares, not some of them, all of them. Cast all your cares upon me. And I don't know what you're going through and you don't know what I'm going through. But praise God, he does. And he wants us to cast our cares upon him. One person said, worry is a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Can you imagine worrying? It's like a channel. It's, it's interfering with our peace. It's interfering with our joy. It's interfering with our Christian walk because it's taking our focus off the Lord and putting it on ourself and on our circumstances. He says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to cast all your cares upon me. A man named John Rice once said, worry is putting question marks where God has put periods. Oh, man, I said that was great. I was reading this yesterday. I said, Lord, that's exactly what we do when we worry. We put a question mark. Do you love me, Lord? Question mark. Are you going to provide for me, Lord? Question mark. What happens if this goes wrong? Question mark. And God says, don't. I love you. Period. I'll provide for you. Period. I am your shepherd. Period. Period. I will never leave you nor forsake you, period. When God gives promises, he puts periods after them. Sometimes exclamations too. But he doesn't put the question mark. And we sometimes have questions about it. One day, two men were talking, and I love this story that I found yesterday. Uh, This one man, and it reminds me of our customers because they go through these same things. He says, I have a mountain of credit card debt. I've lost my job and my car is being repossessed. And our house is in foreclosure. But I'm not worried about it. Not worried about it, his friend said. No, I've hired a professional worrier. He does all the worrying for me, and that way I don't have to think about it. Just think he's got a way to do it. Wow, the guy said, that's fantastic, his friend said. How much does he charge for his services? Oh, he charges $50,000 a year. $50,000 a year? Where are you going to get that kind of money? I don't know. That's his worry." (laughs) <laughs> I thought, wow, that is really great. But you know, on the serious side, we have a professional warrior, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he says, I don't want you to worry about it, Mike. I want you to give it to me. I'm your professional warrior, And guess what? It's not going to cost you $50,000. It's free. All you have to do is come and pray and give it over to me fully on the altar and don't take it back. And I will come through for you. God, through Christ, is our professional warrior. This translation is so good in the Phillips version because it says of verse 7, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon Him, for He, for, excuse me, for you are His personal concern. Throw all your weight on Him. Think about that. You are His personal concern. There's so many Christians in the world, millions of Christians, and yet you, are His personal concern. Alan, God loves you. Bob, He cares for you. You're His personal concern. You're the apple of His eye. He cares for us. Isn't that amazing? It always amazes me that he can be, we can be praying to the Father and at the same time, everybody else is praying and He's listening to our prayers and He's going to answer them. That's the amazing thing about our God. So He tells us here in this passage two beautiful things. He tells us if you want to have victory in your life, You've got to be humble. And you say, Lord, isn't there any other way? We don't like to be humble. We want it, we, but the flesh doesn't like it. We have to yield ourselves to the Lord. We have to say, Lord, I know you're against pride. I want to surrender my life. Help me to be like that mountain goat who laid down his body so the other one could walk over it. May the Lord help us to be humble. It's not easy. And guess what? None of us are going to graduate from humility school until we get to heaven. We really want But as we grow and become more humble, He will have His way. He's not finished with us yet. Like the Gaither song for the kids years ago, God isn't finished with me yet. The paint is still wet. Paint's still wet. Touch me, the paint's still wet. He's not finished yet. He's got to take off the rough edges. He's got to sand me down. Then He's going to put a beautiful coat of paint on me and I'll be ready. And He'll present me to the Father one day when we get there. But until then, we have to yield ourselves to Him. We have to cast all our cares and our worries and our problems and you know what they are. I know what mine are upon the Lord who loves us. If you try to carry that burden yourself, it's going to be too heavy for you. But when you give it over to the Lord, there's peace, there's joy, there's encouragement. May the Lord help us this morning to challenge our lives to be humble and dependent on Him no matter what we go through. And we're going to say, when the devil comes and says, says, whispers in our ears and the world comes against us, we're just going to say, Lord, I give it over to You. I'm going to humble myself before You. And whatever You do with my life, if You want me to be rich, I'll be rich. If You don't want me to be rich, I won't be. If You want to give me that car, You'll give it to me. If You want to give me that house, You'll give it to me. But Lord... I give it over to you. You're my teacher. You're my mentor. You're my shepherd. You know what's best for me. Help me to be humble and dependent on you. Shall we just bow for a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your will in our lives. And we know that you not only want us to be humble, but it's totally mandatory for us to be successful and victorious. We thank You, Lord, that You have a plan for our lives and You're going to exalt us if we humble ourselves, Lord. And You're going to do it in due time. So many times we want things to happen right away. We want the answer right now. We want things to change in our circumstances. But, Lord, don't change them until You change us. Make us humble, Lord, through our circumstances and things that happen to us. Help us to cast all our cares upon You and not to take them upon ourselves. Lord, we thank You for the teaching of scripture. And we pray that you'll help us to go forth today challenged, encouraged, inspired, Lord, for your great love for us is so wonderful. And we praise you and thank you in your precious name. Amen.